This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. If you've been watching this series, you know that if a scribe made an error with the name of Yehovah, he was supposed to cut it out rather than destroy it. But has anyone ever left out a vowel or even the complete name of Yehovah in an ancient scroll? Well, you're gonna find out tonight with Nehemiah Gordon because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Would you believe that the name of God has actually been forgotten in ancient scrolls? Yes, the scribe actually forgot to write it. Like they wrote the rest, left a space for the name of the Almighty and simply forgot to come back and fill it in. <laughs> we'll show you the proof of that tonight with Nehemiah Gordon, it's real. Uh, first, let's see where we are on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. It is the third Shabbat of the fifth month and you can get your own copy of this calendar at rootawakening.tv slash calendar. We've just ordered a fresh batch because we ran out, this thing was so popular, we had to get some more. Now, uh, please welcome my co-host, our Ambassador Club Coordinator, Angie Clark. Hello there, Scott, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, thank how you. are you doing? I'm doing great, how are you? Well, I'm doing wonderful, thank you. And you know, we're so blessed to, to be here and so blessed that our partners have uh, supported this program and, and they support the love Absolutely. gift, which we're gonna talk about in a second, uh, but we also, encourage people to uh, not just you know support the ministry, but send us your prayer requests. You know, we wanna yes. pray with you. That's the real important part about this ministry. Not only bringing out the word of Yehovah to everyone, but if you've got a need, tell us about it. Right. And so you've brought out some that you thought were especially poignant that you wanted to bring out, and we're actually gonna pray for these folks today. Okay. Uh, so why don't you bring out uh, a couple that you have there? Sure, absolutely. Let me just say up front that I always post uh, the link on the Ambassador Facebook page. Mm -hmm. So there's intercessors just waiting uh, to pray for your needs. So just trust that there are people that are praying for you. Indeed, it's on the bottom of your screen right now, just rudeawakening.tv slash prayer. And uh, that's where you can go and post your prayer request. You and can post or pray. Or pray, that's yep. right, that's right, because it's not just us praying for those folks. If you feel inclined, if everything's going great in your life, wonderful. Take that opportunity, take that time to go and pray for other folks. You can go in there, you can check the box to say, I prayed for this. And what yes. happens is the person who submitted the prayer request gets a notification in their emailing say, saying, hey, someone prayed for you. It doesn't involve any names or anything, it's all anonymous, but at least you know people have seen it, they've responded, and you know that your prayer is being brought before the Father yes. by someone other than yourself. It's a wonderful thing. Now, they can put their name if they like, or they can choose not to. Okay. Can, you can be anonymous or you can put your name. Beautiful. So um, this one is anonymous. Please praise my husband and I have told our local area foster care licensing representative we are willing to foster children in crisis. We have done all paperwork necessary and have been approved. So they're ready Wonderful. to foster children. Uh, this is from Rebecca. She spent uh, the summer with her 13-year-old niece who's on hospice care. Um, she's she's fought and she's full of life, but she has some leukemia and lymphoma. 
and the doctor says there's nothing else they can do. Mm. So she's just asking for prayer. And uh, Morgan, she said, I, I love this the transparency here. She said, I just need intimacy with God. He has not answered my prayers. He's not spoken to me. Mm. And I think a lot of us have been in that season. And then this is just kind of a praise. You can do a praise report on there as well. Hallelujah, it was wonderful to see the video of Michael up and walking uh, by faith and by the grace of Yehovah. Let's keep asking, seeking, and knocking Abba for restoring total health to Michael. Indeed, and he is still improving, by the way. Oh, every, yeah. every, you know, you don't see a lot on Shabbat Night Live, but we, you know, a lot is shared with us through Michael's wife, Annalil. Uh, right. And uh, she sends us video of him uh, walking down the sidewalk or doing different things. So just be encouraged that maybe you don't see everything publicly that Michael is improving on, right. but he is improving every day. And we are still praying for that breakthrough where something clicks and he is wonderful. So we are still praying for that and we pray Absolutely. that you would uh, pray along with us. So uh, let's pray for all these folks that were just on these uh, prayer requests right now. And just a reminder, James mm -hmm. 5, um, 16, says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Mm. So, And it's not that we are righteous, we are made righteous in Yeshua. Right. That is the thing. That, that verse, I'm glad you brought that up. That verse has always spoken to me um, since, it hasn't always spoken to me, since Yehovah sort of dropped it on my head going, you think you're righteous? You are not righteous. Mm. You're only righteous through Yeshua. Only. So the only way that your, your prayer will avail much is if you are sending it right. via Yeshua. Amen. That is the only way your pray, prayer will be heard. Way. That's right, so why don't we do that right now? Why don't you pray with us? Yehovah, we wanna thank you for this day. We wanna thank you for your uh, just your faithfulness to this ministry, your faithfulness to Michael. We thank you that he is improving every day. And we bring these things up before you today, the ones that Angie has picked out from this person, Father, who wants to have foster children in their home. What a wonderful gift to give somebody, Father. And we just pray that they would get uh, wonderful children that they could speak into their lives, uh, help turn some lives around, and uh, that there would be testimonies years down the road of this person who took them in when they were a kid and their life is forever changed. We pray that that would happen. And Father, we pray for Rebecca and this, and this um, leukemia situation. Father, you would just intervene and uh, we just pray for the best outcome there and that you would uh, just be with Rebecca at this time. And for Morgan, Father, who needs intimacy with you, we pray that you would answer her, whether yes. in a dream mm -hmm. or a vision or yes. something, uh, even just through another person, that she would recognize that you are listening and you're, you are there and uh, that she would just have a testimony of how you spoke to her. And we pray for that right now. And, and we also pray, Father, uh, for Russ and thank you for his um, encouraging word to us about Michael. We pray that you would meet him uh, with everything he needs as well. And we thank you for always looking after us and we thank you for everyone who's watching this program. Will you bless them in Yeshua's name? Amen. All Amen. right. Well, thank you, Angie. Very wonderful. Now, we have a love gift we want to mention because there's only a couple of days left to get it. Uh, there are a couple of wonderful gifts here for a donation of $100 or a donation of $300. Michael always wants to give you something back for your donation. It's not, you're not buying these things. These are just gifts from us to say, Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for yeah. supporting. We really appreciate it. That's what keeps us going, by the way. Is, is right. The love gift is a huge part of this ministry. And, we and just our thank sweet you ambassadors. Oh, yes, the ambassadors. One, thank you for, if you're an ambassador club member, thank you. If you're not, go to the information on the bottom of your screen and you can contact Angie mm -hmm. and get in on the ambassador club and you can find out all about that. But before we go, I just wanted to tell you one last time, there's only a couple of days left to get this teaching. This is the interview I had with Vera Sharav 
She is a Holocaust survivor. This is called The World to Come. That may seem like a strange title because we're showing pictures of the Holocaust and, and there's a man here with, with a stopwatch in his hand and it says The World to Come. Why is it The World to Come? The Holocaust was a long time ago. It's coming again. It's coming again. And Vera Sharab says, the things that she recognizes that's happening in the world, this collaboration between worldwide, not just one evil government, but worldwide government and worldwide mm. health care. This is dangerous. There, like she says in this interview, there's no one to rescue us. There's no allied forces because everyone is on, in on this together. So what do we do? Mm. There's something wrong here. It's not just about a virus. It's not just about right. a vaccine or masks or all the things we've endured in the last 18 months. It's right. not about that. Right. It's about something deeper. There's a reason behind this and people call it a conspiracy theory, it isn't. No. It's real. It's but very the only, poignant. Exactly, and the only way you're gonna see it for real is by watching this. Fact checkers can't take this out of your hands. That's why we've got it on DVD and Blu-ray. Get it, you've only got two days to do it. Thank you in advance. All right, has anyone ever left out a vowel or even a complete name of Yehovah in an ancient scroll? Well, you'll find out tonight with Nehemiah Gordon, it's Manuscript Mysteries, episode three, coming up in two minutes. See you then. It's very, very unnerving for me to have to dig up those memories. Every month, Michael Rood gives you a special teaching when you donate to our Love Gift program. This month, we are offering a teaching unlike any other. It is a history lesson, and it's a warning for your future. This month's teaching is an urgent alert from a survivor of the Holocaust, Vera Sharav, about today's collaboration between medicine and government the very same type of collaboration she saw firsthand that led to the Holocaust. Medicine, when it leaves the private office, the private doctor with you, the patient, is something else entirely. It is weaponized and it has been weaponized. That's what the Nazis did. And to a great extent, this is what's happening now. The world to come with Holocaust survivor Vera Sharav will never be on YouTube and it can never be broadcast but it is something you need to hear. That's why we're offering it as a gift, as a DVD or a Blu-ray, something you can play over and over again in the privacy of your own home with no one censoring the message. And the only way we can do that is with funding from your donations. So with a donation of $50, we'll send you the world to come as a gift. If you'd like to help the ministry further with a donation of $100, we'll send you the world to come and a hollow bread cover made of silk and embroidered with pomegranates or as a special offer for a donation of $300. We'll send you The World to Come, the hollow bread cover, and this wonderful key holder with precious stones from Israel. It's a blessing for everyone who enters your home. Along with these beautiful gifts, this teaching, The World to Come, may be the most important love gift we have ever offered. You can call us to receive this gift at 888-766-3610. You can order by mail by using the information on your screen or you can get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. If you like what you see on Shabbat Night Live, you'll love the bonus episodes, now available only on the michaelrood.tv app. These bonus episodes dive deep to give you more serious study, cutting edge content, and righteous raves you won't find anywhere else. It's Michael Rood Uncut. Sign up now to get the michaelrood.tv app free for 14 days. It's everything Michael Rood, plus all new bonus episodes you won't find anywhere else. Sign up to watch now at michaelrood.tv.
The night of the Last Supper, Yeshua took our tone, our tone, leavened bread, and he blessed the Most High, and he broke the bread and said, this represents my body, which will be broken for you. He took the cup, and he blessed the Most High and said, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood. The following day, the following day, on the 14th of the month of the Aviv, there were two large loaves on the wall of the temple. And when they took the first loaf down, after that, no more bread, no more leavened bread was eaten. Then when they took the second loaf down, that's when all of the leavened bread in the city of Jerusalem and everywhere else was completely expunged. It was burnt in the fire. That was the rehearsal that was done the following day, just before the Passover lambs were sacrificed in preparation for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But Yeshua represents in this very thing in the breaking of the bread that we do, in the Kiddush, in the sanctification, every Shabbat, we remember that his body was broken for us. By his stripes, we were healed. And in the taking of this cup, as we say this prayer in thanksgiving to Almighty God, Baruch Atah Yehovah Eloheinu Melech HaAlam, Borei Pri Hagafen. Yeshua said this, is the renewed covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Every meal, any time, any Sabbath, any feast, any time that you need to remember his broken body and shed blood, we do this in remembrance of him. To date, there are more than 2,400 manuscripts with the full vowel pointings of the name of Yehovah. How do we know that? It's due to the work of Nehemiah Gordon. But Nehemiah, welcome to ShabbatNet Live. There Thanks, are uh, places where there is a missing vowel, you tell me. What's this all so about? So in most manuscripts of the Hebrew Bible, when they come to the name yud Hey vav Hey, they put in the first vowel and they put in the third vowel and they leave out the second vowel uh, this is in something like 80% of the manuscripts. They leave out the vowels in most places. And this was something years ago I was studying and researching. I've done teaching on this. Uh, one of the best teachings I've ever done, actually, is in the Open Door series that I did with Michael. Mm -hmm. And it's an episode called The Tower That Still Stands. And I tell the story there. I think it's there that I share the incident. I'm not going to repeat that. Um, but what I discovered is that in the Aleppo Codex, what's considered the most... The most accurate, most authoritative manuscript of the Tanakh that exists. It was the one that even a thousand years ago, scholars would come from all over the Jewish world to check their Bibles against the Aleppo Codex back when it was in Jerusalem. Uh, that manuscript, in most instances, there's a missing vowel that's missing, it's not there, and every once in a while they put that vowel in and it spells out ye the pronunciation Yehovah. Uh, I'd originally found this in the two key manuscripts of the Tanakh, the Leningrad Codex and the Aleppo Codex, and then the challenge came and they said, well, Nehemiah, that's just two manuscripts. Well, it's two of the most important. Okay, <laughs> but it's just two manuscripts, Nehemiah, just two scribes who maybe thought that was the vowels 
or they made a mistake and put that vowel in. This is what was argued. And they ended up saying, okay, let's find a third manuscript. I found a third and then a fourth and a fifth. Mm. Today we have over 2,400 manuscripts. And look, there are people who have said to me, Nehemi, I don't care if you have 10,000 manuscripts. Those are the vowels of Adonai. This is the, the standard argument. I've done many teachings about this. I don't, I don't want to go into that aspect of it. Um, the, w- what's significant is that I, I did a teaching a number of years back, Scott, in which I um, argued that when the scribe of the Aleppo Codex put in the full vowels, he did it by mistake. Right? That's been essentially my argument. Why do I think he did it by mistake? Because in most places he didn't put in the full vowels. Hmm. I mean, that tells you what his intention was. His intention was to leave out that middle vowel. And when he puts it in, it's because it's a slip of the mind where he knows that's the vowel and he puts it in. And he always puts in that O when he puts in the middle vowel. Um, So I had done a teaching a few years back, Scott, in which I had spoken to a man who got to study the Aleppo Codex directly. He sat with the Aleppo Codex and studied it. Uh, and they compiled what I was told was a database. And in this database, he told me, to his recollection, they never erased a vowel or accent of God's name. And when he told, that, told me that, I, I'm like, wow, so that explains why in those places where the scribe put in the O, he couldn't go and erase it in order to hide what that vowel was because he wasn't allowed to erase the vowels of God's name. Mm. This is what I was told by this old man who had studied this in the late 70s and early 80s directly with the Aleppo Codex and created the database. Well, I remember at the time I did this teaching, I said, I wish I could see this for myself and verify it. I wish I could see the database. So I got to see the database. (laughs) And I I almost immediately saw that that was wrong. (laughs) That not only did they erase the vowels and accents, they erased the actual letters of God's name in the Aleppo Codex. I eventually got to study the Aleppo Codex myself directly. I spent nine hours with it. I examined it with a microscope with infrared and ultraviolet, and there's no question that they erased not only the consonants, or sorry, not only the accents and vowels of yud heh but the actual consonants. Now this is rare information because I don't know if I've heard of anybody going through the Aleppo Codex with a microscope. As far as and, I and know. And infrared, for that matter. Yeah, as far as I know, I'm the only one to do a, mic, uh, a microscope at 50X infrared and ultraviolet. If there wow. is somebody else, you know, let me know who that is. Um, now the database it, we're talking about was, is this where you're talking about there was a database of Yeah, it was actually a stack paper. of papers. It was, it was an analog database, right? <laughs> Meaning like there was a line and it had a, a, what's called a lemma and then it had, okay, here's what we found, right? So it was the, 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 you know, the rumor of the database was greatly exaggerated. It, it was a database. This is not a thumb but, drive. This is you a, know, this <laughs> was an analog, what back then they thought of as a database, I guess, right? I, sure. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so it wouldn't be our modern definition. So... Uh, I got an amazing opportunity to go to Geneva, Switzerland, where they have one of the six key manuscripts of the Bible. It's the only one of the six key manuscripts that's in private hands. All the others belong to institutions. And that manuscript is known as Sassoon 1053. Sassoon was this family of merchants, of Jewish merchants who were in Hong Kong and Iraq and and, uh, England. And at one point, one of the people in the family who had this key manuscript died and because the British have this death tax, right? You pay taxes when you're alive, but then when you die, your estate has to pay taxes. And they had to sell off these manuscripts because of the death tax. Mm. And somebody in Geneva, Switzerland, bought the manuscript. And uh, for years, nobody knew exactly where it was. They had some idea. There was a rumor that it was the guy in Switzerland, but we didn't know for sure. 
and nobody had studied it. And I got to go to Switzerland. Um, now, why is this manuscript so important? It's referred to in a list. There's a synagogue that existed in Cairo. And this was at a time when the Aleppo Codex, before it was called the Aleppo Codex, it was just called the Crown. Altaj or Haketer, it was called the Crown. And there's a, 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 a list of the books that are in a certain synagogue in Cairo. And it mentions there that in this list of books, they have a, a manuscript of the Bible called the Brother of the Crown. The brother, so this is the... This, so the Sassoon 1053 is believed by scholars to be the brother of the crown, the brother of the Aleppo Codex. So the, why do they call it the brother? Is it that So the reason similar, they or? call it the brother is, number one, it's from that period. Okay. And number two, it's the earliest reference to the Aleppo Codex outside the Aleppo Codex. Okay. Right? It refers to the manuscript of the Bible written by Aaron ben Asher which is what the Aleppo Codex is, in the actual manuscript of, of the Sassoon 1053 itself, oh, wow. right? Okay. So the Sassoon 1053, the brother of the crown, I'm studying this in Geneva, Switzerland, and I had found some places in the Aleppo Codex in which I believed and I had argued that not only did they erase the vowels and accents, but the actual letters. But it's very difficult to prove because how do you prove what they erased? They've erased it. Right? So we saw in previous episodes how you can see traces. You can see the outline of an aleph and the remnants of a vav. Well, in these cases with yud vav they wrote another word over it in the Aleppo Codex. They wrote Adonai over it, and in one case, a different word over it. When it came to the brother of the crown in Geneva, Switzerland, in 1 Samuel 16, 9, I have what is definitive proof. By the way, here you can see me in Geneva sitting. I'm like the uh, proverbial Cheshire cat standing <laughs> over... The, uh, the um, you know, th that's the type of smile where I'm actually holding back because there I am holding the brother of the crown, Sassoon 53, a manuscript I'd searched for for years. I had, every time I met somebody who I thought might have some connection to this person in Switzerland, I'd say, do you know so-and-so? And then out of the blue, I'm invited to come and examine this manuscript. I'm assuming that's a very rare opportunity if it's in private hands like so it is. So I asked the owner of the manuscript when I met him, how many scholars have come before me and the two people who came with me? Um, he said, you're the first ones. Really? Yeah. Oh, that, he had, that he is had, annoying. He had purchased the manuscript and he stuck it in a vault and it, huh. I don't know, it was literally a vault. He stuck it somewhere, I didn't know where, right? Because yeah. we actually met in a third location, right? In, in an outside location, because we weren't allowed to know where this was kept exactly. Mm. Right? It was kept in some secret location um, for insurance reasons, right? I mean, it's worth millions of dollars. And uh, we go there to examine it, and we had armed guards outside, literally. There's wow. armed guards outside as we're examining this manuscript in, in this warehouse. And um, uh, I got to spend three days with this codex, with this manuscript of the Hebrew Bible, studying it, also using um, the microscope with ultraviolet and infrared. And there was one passage, though, where I found it didn't require ultraviolet and infrared. It was as clear as day what had happened. Oh, look at that. Now, there's two images here, because one is the end of a column and the beginning of the next column. And what happened here in the Brother of the Aleppo Codex is in 1 Samuel 16, 9. And what happened is the scribe made a mistake. We looked at mistakes in Torah scrolls. This is a mistake in a codex, which is the book form, right? Codex mm -hmm. is the opposite of a scroll. Um, it's a, like a modern book, except it's written by hand on parchment. And uh, the, what the scribe did is he accidentally copied the verse 1 Samuel 16, 9 twice. Mm. And when he realized the mistake, instead of erasing the entire verse 
the first time, he kept the second instance for whatever reason, instead of erasing just the entire verse, he only erased the bottom half of the verse. And why did he do that? Because in Hebrew manuscripts, if there's a space in the manuscript, certain types of spaces have meaning. They tell you this is the end of a thought and the beginning of a new thought. There are prophecies where those spaces can change the meaning of the prophecy. Is verse 12 part of verse 11 or does it belong to verse 13? Well, the space tells you that. And so here, he didn't want to create a new space in this manuscript. This is a scribe a 1,000 years ago, really like 1,100 years ago, me in the 900s in Israel. He's copying this manuscript. He's written 1 Samuel 16.9 twice, and he erases the bottom of the letters. Why is that important for the name Yehovah? So I was told, Nehemiah, they never made mistakes with the name, and if they did, they would remove it from circulation, and you'd never find it. And I got news for you guys. I can found, find things that were removed from circulation. <laughs> they still exist. They're just could, in private hands, that's I, all. Well, in this case, it's in private hands because he bought it at an auction. Um, but this was used by a Jewish community for mm. you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. And it was ju- used at one point by the Jews of Cairo, and somehow it ends up in the hands of this um, uh, Sassoon collector and now in the hands of uh, uh, um, a Jew who lives in, in um, Geneva, Jacques Safra, a very important family of, uh, who, who, of um, philanthropists. Uh, the um, campus of the Hebrew University of Jerusalem is named after his uncle. Mm-hmm. Right? He's a very important and respected family of philanthropists. He now owns this manuscript. So here you can see uh, that the bottom half of the verse, right? Not, not the second half, the bottom half of the verse. <laughs> the bottom half of each letter was erased. And that was to erase the words without creating an extra space. So I come along as a reader and I say, okay, he made a mistake and he erased it, uh, but this isn't a space that's meant to be interpreted as the end of a thought. What's so important about this is because he wrote the same verse twice, I can read what's been erased. And because he left the top half, I can still read what's been erased, right? And I know exactly what it's supposed to say because he wrote it twice, right? So, and and why did he write it twice? Let let me jump over here and, and show you. This, this was an example where it was bound to make a mistake, or a mistake was bound to happen. We have three times in a row where in the, in the text as it's supposed to appear, we have the word, and he passed over, or he caused to pass over. This is the scene in 1 Samuel 16 where Samuel comes to Jesse, uh, and he wants, to, he wants to see the one that Jehovah has chosen as to be anointed with oil, essentially as the Messiah mm-hmm. of that period. And uh, Jesse brings his eldest son and he brings the next son and, he, and, and the word there is he caused to pass before Samuel. And we have three times the letters Vav, Yud, Ay, and Bet, Resh, Vayaver, Vayaver, first time it's Vayavirehu and he passed him over and then Vayaver, Vayaver, and he passed him over and he caused to pass over. And twice you have the exact same words and Jesse caused to pass over at the beginning of verse nine and at the beginning of verse 10 and just above it you have and he passed him over, right? So you have three times the same exact word that begins a a clause, meaning part of a sentence. And then you have three times in the same area where it ends a sentence or part of a sentence, lo bachal Yehovah, Yehovah did not choose, Yehovah did not choose, Yehovah did not choose. So why is this important? So the scribe is copying and how does the scribe copy? He looks at the text, at the, at the empty page that he's copying, and he looks at the one he's copying from, 
and he puts into his temporary memory one word, two words, three words, right? And maybe even he says them according to some traditions. He pronounces the words, perhaps, and then he writes down what he has in his memory or what he just pronounced. And he looks back and he copies a few more words. And he looks back and he copies a few more words. And then every once in a while, he looks back and his eye jumps and he looks at the wrong place. And why is this the type of thing that would happen as a common error we would expect? Because if you have the same phrase repeating, two phrases that repeat, and he caused them to pass, and Yehovah did not choose, right? So the beginning and the end have the same phrase. And what happened is as he was copying, his eye jumped from one of those phrases to the next phrase, and he ended up copying the same verse twice. He thought he was copying the next verse, but he really, he saw he was copying verse 10, but he really copied verse nine twice. Pretty innocent mistake. Yep. Very innocent mistake happens all the time, but this is a beautiful example of it, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, this is the type, if I was looking for this type of mistake, I would look in 100 manuscripts and I'd probably find five of them where this mistake, or one or two maybe, right? I'd find manuscripts, this is where I would expect the mistake to happen. So within this, and the important part, I guess, yeah. that I'm assuming is that in the scratched off portion where there's still half the- We know what it says! You know what it says? And he scratched off the word of Yehovah. He, he actually not? scratched off the name of Yehovah. The name of Yehovah, yeah, he did. It says, Vayaver Shama Yishai Vayomer Gam and I can read at the bottom where it says it the name, that is Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. I know from the top half of the letters, I'm not speculating that's what was erased. I can still read it. Yeah. Because he only has scratched off the bottom half of it. And this is huge, Scott, because up until now I've been able to uh, suggest, to argue, to present what I think is evidence pointing to the erasure of God's name in the Aleppo Codex, mm -hmm. right? Contrary to what I was taught and contrary to what I taught, because I was sharing what I was told, and I said, I wish I could verify it for myself, and I verified that it was wrong, that they actually erased God's name not only in the Aleppo Codex, but in the brother of the crown. They, and this you can't say, well, he didn't erase Yodhevave. He obviously erased Yodhevave. So now in the it's tradition right of where you are not, absolutely not supposed to do such things, you're at least supposed to cut it out, as we learned. We saw that in Torah scrolls. So, what, so why did the scribe do it? Yeah, so two and how did he get away with it? I mean, two <laughs> possibilities, and those, that's, those are actually two different questions, right? How did he get away with it? So the answer has to be that he was not a rabbinical scribe. This had, so we looked at Deuteronomy 12, three and four, and I said, well, in the context, it doesn't mean don't erase God's name, but the rabbis interpreted it to mean don't erase God's name even when it's written by mistake. Mm. But the context of Deuteronomy 12, three and four, we don't have time to go over it again, but in, in that context, the meaning of, those, of, of the commandment there is don't worship God the way the pagans worship their gods. The rabbis interpreted it to mean don't erase God's name even when it's written by mistake. So there's no way any rabbinical scribe did this. It's impossible. This had to be a Karaite scribe. We can say 100% definitively two things. The scribe was a Karaite, and then very likely his patron, whoever owned the manuscript, was a Karaite. Because if the Karaite scribe had erased God's name, that would have upset his patron as well, right? He was working for somebody, maybe a community. So this had to have belonged at some point to a Karaite community. Um, and I think we can suggest a similar thing about the Aleppo Codex. Hmm. So, here's an example where the word Adonai, Lord, in Ezekiel chapter six, verse three, is written over some erasure. And I, what else, what would they erase? What could it possibly be 
more than likely it's Yehovah, and I can only say more than likely, right? I can't read yet. One day I will be able to, hopefully with technology. I can't yet read what was erased to this instance. Hmm. Here's a case from another manuscript written by the same scribe who wrote the um, contents of the Aleppo Codex, and he here definitively I can say he erased Yehovah because I can still make out the letters. Yeah. Um, here's another case, and, and I'll end with this. This is Malachi chapter one, verse 12, in the Aleppo Codex. And what you can see is Adonai is written over an erasure. And um, are we going to have another segment after this of 20 minutes? Or, or, or is this, uh, yes, or is yep, this okay? Yep. So I'm going to continue. I'm going to save. I'm going to save the next thing because it's really exciting. <laughs> but um, but here, uh, l- let me just uh, set this up. Malachi chapter one, verse 12. It says, "When you say the um, uh, you it says and you desecrate." I love the context here because it's so beautiful. You are, and you desecrate it when you say. The, uh, the table of the Lord is defiled, right? And the word for Lord there in Hebrew is Adonai. It's not Yehovah, hmm. but it's written over an erasure. In the Aleppo Codex, it's written over, over an erasure. And it seems that what the scribe originally wrote was some other word that would fit there. What could that word be? Probably Yehovah. Now, here's the beautiful thing. The scribe who wrote the consonants of the Aleppo Codex wrote another manuscript. And this is that other manuscript. And here we can actually make out the letters yud heh vav hmm. So I'm not speculating here that the scribe who wrote the Aleppo Codex was named Shlomo ben Buya'a. Uh, he was the one who wrote the Constants. He wrote Adonai, he, sorry, he wrote Yehovah. And the scribe who wrote the accents and the vowels came along and said, that's a mistake, and scratched it out and wrote Adonai in its place. Wow. And I want to pick that up when we, when we come back. Okay. Because I talked in a previous program about Christian David Ginsburg, about how he argued that the 134 places where it says Adonai, that originally it said Yehovah, and this is one of those places. And now it's not speculation. I mean, Ginsburg, to some extent, was speculating. He was saying, originally it, it said Yehovah, and they changed it to Adonai. Here I can see originally it said Yehovah. I can actually make out the letters in this manuscript, and in the Aleppo Codex, I can see something was erased in the same exact verse, huh. in the same exact place. I can only imagine your reaction when you first found these. <laughs> I was like, oh no, this is not supposed to exist, but here it is, I have there the truth is. now. All right, more truth coming up right after this. We're gonna give you a couple minutes to uh, support Shabbat Night Live. We wanna thank you in advance because you brought Nehemia here and you provide the opportunity for others to see this program. So uh, we thank you again in advance for supporting this program. We'll give you a couple minutes. See you then. Thank you for supporting Shabbat Night Live where no tradition is sacred, not even that of erasing the name of Yehovah and the Aleppo Codex. Nehemia Gordon, we've seen that this yeah. is now true thanks to your work. Well, and look, I have to say, when I found this, I, I, was, I was kind of, it, I said, oh, no. I'm, I, I, was, I was told that this was not the case. And, and it was kind of like, this, this isn't, I'm wrong, this can't be. I must, I, did I misunderstand something here? Um, and that's why I shared about the Brother of the Crown, the Sassoon 1053 manuscript. There's no two ways about it. It's definitive there. You can still see, it says Yudevave. It's plain as day and it's been erased. Hmm. Right? You see the tops of the letters. Um, so I, it was kind of a shock to me because um, I had been teaching for years something that wasn't true. I was taught that they looked at every Hebrew manuscript in the world and they found there were only five or six differences between them and they were listed in the back of our Bibles and the Hebrew 
And, you know, was it Vayihi Yimei, whatever, or the, the years of so-and-so were, or the years of so-and-so was, that's actually one of them, in, in, in one of the begat lists, like who cares, right? Yeah. And it was versus were. Um, it's one letter in Hebrew, and, or is the word daka spelled with an aleph for a hey in Deuteronomy 23. But here we have in the Aleppo Codex itself, right? And, and I struggle for words to describe this because scholars will also t- often talk about how, well, the Masoretic text says this, meaning the official Jewish version, and then here's something that differs from the Masoretic text. This is the Aleppo Codex. This is, when we say Masoretic text, what we really mean is the version preserved in the Aleppo Codex, hmm. and it has both. One that was originally written, and then the version that was then erased and replaced with a different word. So originally in Malachi 1.12, it said Yehovah in the Aleppo Codex, and that was erased and replaced with Adonai. Hmm. So first of all, it tells you this was not a rabbinical scribe, or if it was a rabbinical scribe, which is still possible, I don't rule it out, that maybe he erased the name because he said, look, I'm making the master text of the Bible. I can't, I can't have a word written above the line or in the margins, and they didn't do that in the Aleppo Codex. There's no above line in the margin because mm. they knew people would be coming to copy this as their source. So maybe for that purpose, he allowed himself to erase the name, right? It's possible. Could have been a rabbinical scribe. It's entirely possible. Um, so, but the point is originally it said Yehovah and it was replaced with Adonai, which means Lord as opposed to the actual name of God. Now, there's 134 places where it says Adonai, there's another about 300 where it says Adonai Yehovah or Yehovah Adonai. Let's leave that aside, right? It's Lord Yehovah or Yehovah Lord. Sure. There it's a title. But what about the 134 places where it says Adonai by itself? So Ginsburg in the 19th century, this, this scholar, Jewish scholar had, who converted to Christianity, had argued that the 134 places originally said Yehovah. Um, well, I don't know if he's right or not about 134 places, but in Malachi 1.12, I found another piece of evidence, which is really cool. So in the Jerusalem Talmud, there's a discussion between two rabbis. Okay. And they're talking about how many times it has God's name, and it doesn't use the word name. It says azkarot, which means mentions. How many mentions of a divine name or title are there in the books of Haggai, Haggai, and Malachi. And the one rabbi comes along and says, I counted them. There's 93. And the other rabbi comes along and says, no, I counted them. There's 103. And we know the difference between the 93 and the 103. The second rabbi was including Elohim, which is a title as the mentions, right? Meaning he's defining uh, uh, title or name differently, right? I don't have a word for it in English, right? I could use the word appellation, right? That's a fancy word for name, right? But an appellation could also be a title. Gotcha. So when he arrived, this word that can mean both, right? So are there 93 appellations or 103 appellations? It depends if you include Elohim or not. We all agree it includes Yehovah. What about Elohim? Here's the beautiful thing. Look in your Bible software, people. Today, there aren't 93 instances of Yehovah, and there aren't 103 if you include Elohim. There's 91 and 101. Hmm. So what's the two difference? The two different is two verses in Malachi where it says Adonai. So when these rabbis had this discussion in the, around the third or fourth century, in their Bibles, in Malachi 1.12 and in one other place in Malachi, it didn't say Adonai, it said Yehovah. So it's not just the, because you could say, well, the Aleppo Codex, the scribe made a mistake and he fixed the mistake. What's the big deal? And in the second manuscript written by the same scribe, he made a mistake and he corrected the same mistake. Well, now we have evidence that hundreds of years before the Aleppo Codex, in the Bible of the rabbis, 
who are recorded in the Jerusalem Talmud in the third or fourth century, uh, they had Yehovah in Malachi 1.12, not Adonai. So I don't know about the other 132 places out of the 134, but in those two, I think we have a strong case to make that it originally said Yehovah in Malachi 1.12 and the other verse in Malachi that has Yehovah, that originally it was Yehovah, not Adonai. And I have to say, this blew away my paradigm. This completely, um, I shouldn't say completely, right? Because it's the same fundamental paradigm. I trust the word of God. But if somebody comes along to change something, it leaves traces behind. You can't get away with changing God's word without leaving behind the smoking gun. And Yehovah has blessed me with the ability to go look for those smoking guns and find them, right? I mean, we can still see what it said. I could even read it in one of the manuscripts, right? The remains of the letters are there. And we have enough evidence that we can, it's kind of like the John 6, 4 study that, that we did, right? The manuscripts are still there where you can point to evidence, right? And this is really important because, you know, Ginsburg can make a guess and say, well, I think originally it said this, but that's your opinion. Mm-hmm. I want to see the evidence, right? Now, you might say, well, no, Nehemiah, in our Bibles today that were printed and in the Aleppo Codex, as it was corrected, it says Adonai, okay, fine, doesn't change the fundamental message, but I want to get as close to the original as I can. Now, I want to show you something else in the Aleppo Codex, Scott, and this is a beautiful thing here. Um, if it lets me go forward, hold on. Um, okay, so this is Ezekiel 28, 22. This is one of the two places I originally found the full vowels. And there is no question whatsoever that in this instance, the scribe made a mistake by putting in the full vowels. Hmm. What do I mean by that? So whenever yud Hey vav Hey is attached to the phrase, to a phrase that connects it to Adonai, in other words, if it's Lord yud hey vav hey or yud hey vav hey Lord, which appears approximately 300 times, uh, and it's interesting why I say approximately. Um, it, 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 we don't have time to get into it, <laughs> okay. but it could be 300, <laughs> 301, whatever it is. Adonai yud hey vav hey, yud hey vav hey Adonai, meaning Lord Yehovah or Yehovah Lord. Um, whenever it's part of that phrase, the tradition says don't read it as Adonai, which you normally read yud hey vav hey as, read it as Elohim. Hmm. So that means that this should have the second and third vowel here, and the first vowel is, is a different discussion that I'll, I'll get into a different time. But the second and third vowel here is connected to the pronunciation, Elo, or should be connected to the pronunciation Elohim, particularly the third vowel, right? Should be, it should be something like Yehovi, and it normally is Yehovi in the 300 places it's connected to Adonai. And in this place, it's not, it's Yehovah. Even though by tradition it was read Elohim, it had the vowels Yehovah. Now you can't say these are the vowels of Elohim because Elohim has an E in it, not an I. Right. Right? And so everybody agrees this is a mistake. So this whole thing, Nehemiah, they never made a mistake with the name. If they did, they'd remove it and they'd put it away and burn it and destroy it and you'd never see it. Well, I mean, everybody agrees this is a mistake. <laughs> and it's, I call it the mistake that got it right. In other words, the scribe, as he's copying, knows God's name is Yehovah, so he puts those vowels in. He doesn't put other vowels in, in this case. He puts in those vowels. Even though he pronounces it as Elohim and reads it as Elohim, he knows Yehovah are the vowels of the actual name. Okay, so this isn't new. I mean, this is something I've talked about before. Here's a new thing I discovered when I was studying the Aleppo Codex with a microscope. I found in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7, that underneath the vav of Yehovah, the scribe erased what was an ah 
and turned it into an E. Remember we said what is connected to Adonai? It's read as Yehovah. So it currently says Yehovah. But you can see under the Vav, something's been erased. Yep. And originally it said Yehovah. Right, because the Nikud are above the Vav is O, U, E. So actually the, the Nikud, the, the, the Nikud, vowel here, mean, yeah. belongs to the He, and the vowel underneath the Vav is E, but originally there was something, it was an A, which is a line with a dot under it in this type of uh, writing. Right. By the way, for those who had a problem with what you did with the, uh, the cup, and they said, well, that's not what a hay looks like. Well, that's what a hay looks like in the Aleppo Codex. This <laughs> is the Aleppo Codex, right? It almost looks like he took the bottom half of that Nikud and just left it there and took the line. That's like, exactly what he did. It's not almost. That's exactly yeah. what he did. He wow. turned a kamatz into a chirik. He mm. turned an on to an e. That's literally what he did. He took a razor and scratched it off. Now, I had done a teaching saying he never erased the scribe of the Aleppo Codex, Aaron Ben-Asher, not the one who wrote the consonants, the one who wrote the vowels, Aaron Ben-Asher never erased the vowels or accents of the Aleppo Codex. This is what I was told, and I said, I wish I could verify it. And this proves definitively that it's wrong, because <laughs> here he erased the, 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 what's called the kamatz, the ah of Yehovah, mm -hmm. and turned it into Yehovah. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> so I'm happy that I was wrong, because now we have the truth. Yeah. Right? And I, and I, and I said at the time, I w you know, to defend myself here, I, I said, I wish I could verify it for myself. And did I actually think I'd ever be able to verify it for myself? I didn't. Hmm. And Yehovah is that amazing that he gave me that opportunity. It's amazing. I want to jump to another topic, Scott, if we have Let's time. Let's do it. Go for it. We have or maybe we, nine minutes you know, we talked about doing a bonus episode. Maybe I'll save some of this for the bonus episode, but I want to get started. So I showed you this on my computer before, Scott. Oh, yep, yep. This is that, from that 13th century Torah scroll we talked about in the, a previous episode. And you were immediately able to tell me what was different about uh, something on this page? Something here that jumps off the page in the Torah scroll. This is in Genesis. Uh, it says, and ve'ed ya'aleb in ha'aretz, and a mist came up from the earth, v'yishkat kol panei ha'adama, and it uh, uh, watered all the face of the earth, v'yitzer Yehovah Elohim et ha'adam, and Yehovah Elohim, Yehovah God, fashioned the man, afar bin ha'adama, dust from the earth. And you immediately saw what was wrong, it's not wrong, what's different about this page, about certain words on the page. Now, I think everybody can see it. It's, it's the different ink color for the yeah. name of Yehovah. So it's brown, the ink, and then all of a sudden, Yehovah and Elohim, meaning Yehovah and God, are written in a different shade of ink. I first thought it was black, but when I actually saw the original, I thought saw it's just a very dark shade of brown. Oh. That might not come across on, on the screen, but in the original, it's actually a different shade of brown. And when I saw that, I said, well, what's going on here? It looks as if the scribe left blank spaces for the name of God and the title Elohim, and then came back later and added it. That's what it looks like. And what really points to that, that is that there's a space on the second line. It says, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, Yehovah, and then Elohim, Aleph, Lamed, Hey, Yud, Mem. And then there's a space. Now, in this Torah scroll, we've looked at this Torah scroll in previous studies, in previous sec sessions, and we saw he puts a space after verses, right? There's a space between mm -hmm. verses. But it's in the middle of a phrase, not just a verse. And Yehovah Elohim formed the man, right? It's the middle of a, of a clause. Why would there be a space in the middle of a thought, in the middle of a clause? That's not the end of a verse. And what happened here, apparently, is the scribe left a space for Yehovah Elohim, Yehovah God, and miscalculated how much space he would need. Mm. So he left extra space. And there's an extra space after the mem of Elohim. So I find this in one Torah scroll. Who knows what's going on, right? You never know from one piece of evidence. You need lots of evidence. 
So here's an, uh, another Torah scroll from another scribe. Actually, it's the same Torah scroll, but it's a sheet that was replaced about 100 years later. And this scribe left a blank space for Yehovah, which was filled in not by the same scribe, but by a different scribe who had different handwriting. He wrote it really small even when he had enough space. He actually wrote it even on a different orientation. You can see the top mm -hmm. doesn't line up with the, with the original. He happened to match the ink pretty good, though. Maybe he was using from the same inkwell. Maybe it was a master and his disciple. We don't know, no. right? We'll get to some of the reasons. I don't think we'll have, maybe in the bonus episode. Are we gonna do a bonus episode? Sure, why not? So in the Let's bonus episode, it. we might get to some of the reasons why this was done. But here you can see he left blank spaces for the name Yehovah, and then he came and, a different scribe came and filled them in in a second phase. In the, in the original part that we just saw um, from the 13th century, it was the same scribe who filled it in here. It's a different scribe. Here's another one from the 14th century where a second scribe filled in the name. This was actually found in a book, a binding of a Christian book. What the Christians had done is they cut up a Torah scroll and used that leather to reinforce a book. Mm. And now scholars are going around Europe into these uh, archives and they're finding Hebrew books in the bindings of other books. And they actually, it's actually the greatest discovery of, of our times is what's called the European Geniza. The original Geniza was a room in, the, in a synagogue and, and some spaces in a cemetery in Cairo where they found all these ancient books. Uh, well, now we have the new Geniza. It's called the European Geniza. There are thousands of pages that have already been recovered from, from the bindings of books. Here's another one. This one's in the Vatican. I got to hold this for myself and I went to the Vatican. And you can see in the last line, it says, Vayomer Yehovah Elohim. And he said, Yehovah Elohim. And Yehovah is squeezed in. Now, this is really interesting because... In the first example I showed you, the scribe wrote both Yehovah and Elohim in the second phase, right? He left blank spaces and he came and he or a different scribe came and filled them in. Here he only did it with Yehovah. How do I know he only did it with Yehovah? Well, first of all, in the, in the original, which you can't really see in this image, the ink is a slightly different color. And I only know that because I held it in my hand. But also you see Elohim isn't squeezed in, only Yehovah is squeezed in. Now you can't always tell, right? Uh, two lines from the bottom. Uh, it has Yehovah at the end of the line. Mm -hmm. And it's not squeezed in because he had enough space. But every once in a while, he needs to squeeze it in because he didn't leave enough space. And you can see it here. I mean, it, it almost looks comical how small it's written, right? It is, yeah. So why would the scribe leave a space and then fill it in during second phase? I'm afraid we're only going to get to this during the, the, um, the, the bonus episode. I'm going to try to get to it and then do some other stuff in the bonus episode. I'm really excited about this. In the bonus episode, can we talk about Esther and the secret name written in Esther? Yes, I wanted to. I wanted to, to do that. That's so we exciting. wanted to and we didn't get to it. Now we we're were, yeah. we, Ironically, that was ahead. supposed to be like yes. the second episode we did, I think, in, in our outline <laughs> and we never got to it. So here's another scroll. Now, all the ones I showed you up until now are from Europe. They're Ashkenazic scrolls, the Jews of Europe, and they're, real, they're from the 12th, 13th, 14th century. This one is written either in Israel or Cairo, meaning it's, it's what's called Oriental, meaning from the Middle East, um, from the mid-10th to 11th century, meaning this is roughly the time of the Aleppo Codex and the Leningrad Codex, maybe a little bit older than the, the Leningrad Codex, and you can see Yehovah is written by a second scribe not even the original scribe. I mean, it just jumps off the page, right? You don't have to read Hebrew to see this one word that's repeatedly written that looks different than all the other words. Um, now, up until now, I've been speculating or I've been inferring that what they did is they left blank spaces because how else do I explain this? Right. How do I know for sure that's what they did? So I found the smoking gun. Here we have a, a scroll where the name Yehovah looks different. 
I put it in, uh, um, surrounded it with red, and you can see he, the name Yehovah looks different, and it looks like it was added in. And then we get to Genesis chapter 18, verse 1, in the second column, and the scribe comes to fill in the name Yehovah, and mm-hmm. he never fills it in. He leaves the blank space, and the blank space is there until this very day in the fragment that survives. In the, this is from the Cairo Geniza. Wow. Um, then you see in a second place, three or four lines from the bottom, he did the same thing. He wrote the name, uh, or he left a space for Yehovah, and we know Yehovah appears there in the text, right? Because we know these verses, right? They're known from the Bible, and it's supposed to be Yehovah, and he left a blank space that never got filled in, and you think, well, this is just a one-off. It's one, one time this ever happened. Here's another one. This is a <laughs> Sephardic scroll written um, somewhere probably, uh, maybe in Spain or North Africa. Could have been in Italy, too. Uh, Sephardic doesn't always mean Spain itself. Um, and here, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times the scribe left a blank space for the name Yehovah, and he didn't fill it in. Now, question for you. Why did they stop and leave a space and come back? So that we will get to in the bonus episode. Okay. Because there's no way I can do it in the next minute and 40 seconds. But here's something I want to show you that's really, really cool. So let me read you what it says at the end of that line. And we're going to see some really cool stuff. I'm going to show you the Dead Sea Scrolls, where they, they did a similar thing with the Dead Sea Scrolls. And in other ancient Hebrew, man, or ancient manuscripts, I should say. One of them is Greek. So here it says, and uh, the, the second line, it says, Most holy, Kodesh Kadashim, who it is most holy, La, to... And then Yehovah's is what we expect to come next. Right. And in Hebrew, the word two is what's sometimes called the inseparable preposition. All right, that's the term that scholars of some have come up with. Uh, the inseparable preposition that's actually attached to the following word. Mm. And uh, meaning the word two doesn't appear by itself. It's, it's glued onto the word after it, in this case to Yehovah. So that word that's glued onto Yehovah was written, but not the name Yehovah itself. So he left the blank space but wrote the pre- inseparable preposition. He did it again on the one, two, there's a blank sp- line, and then the f- fifth line he did it again. Uh, the fourth written line of text at the end is supposed to say, um, uh, he uh, uh, atoned his soul, la Yehovah to Yehovah, and Yehovah isn't written there. And again, it happened a few lines down. So there's no question that this was the practice to write the name to write the name in a second phase after leaving blank spaces. And I can't wait to the bonus episode to explain why this was done. We know why it was done. I have definitive proof that I've discovered, and I'm going to share it with the audience. It's very exciting stuff, Scott. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you, Nehemiah. So we mentioned a bonus episode, but we have another episode after this. We're going to take a little break and come back uh, next week with Keith Johnson. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to speak to Keith Johnson and Nehemiah Gordon next week, and then we'll get into the bonus episode uh, on the michaelrood.tv app. So if you don't have the app, get it now. You'll be able to see this bonus episode. Nehemiah, thank you again for sharing what you've shared thus far. And I can't wait to see you in the bonus episode with more information. So stay tuned for that. Until then, we'll see you next week on Shabbat Night Live with Nehemiah Gordon and Keith Johnson. Shavuot Tov.